guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. And welcome back to episode 88 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We're super excited to be back here on the pod. We have a had a little hiatus here. Uh, I had some family in town. Dan was in Florida, the great state of Florida, where everything good happens. Shout out to the Gators making a run here at the College World Series. Uh, so we took Father's Day off. So I know we did two episodes last week. Two episodes going to come to you this week. So we're not on our normal routine, but we're happy to be back in your feeds on this fine Wednesday morning for anybody listening the day this drops. My name is Trevor Powers, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dan Galati, as well as our producer, Phoebe. Dan, how was your trip to Florida? Hot, man. It was great, though. It was a good time. Uh, I think that might be the first time I've ever been to Florida in the summer, um, and it is as advertised. I think the real feel every day was like over 100, or at least I know the one day it was over 100, and it's it's hot. Like, I feel like if you are a Floridian in the summer, you just don't shower until nighttime or like go do anything where you like can't sweat or wear any clothes where you can see sweat because no matter what, you step out of the house, if you're outside within like five minutes, you're sweating. It's so we actually had hot. a we actually had a, a fun debate this weekend about weather and temperature and and Danielle and I side lean on one side of the spectrum here. So I, I figure I care to ask you here. Would you rather be sweating and it be hot or any glimmer of cold sweating and it be hot like i would i don't mind that like if if i know exactly like if i'm prepared like i was going to florida i knew that i was going to be sweating i knew i was going to be sitting on the beach most of the time like i had no problems i woke up on friday we worked i worked um my day job 
from Florida on Friday and I woke up and it was like 740 in the morning and my laptop was, it was 86 degrees. And I was like, this is awesome. Like every time I stepped yeah. outside and, and it feels like you're walking into like a, I don't know. I don't, I wasn't, I'm not going to say what I was thinking. You walk, you just step outside and you feel the heat <laughs> right away. And uh, yeah, I was a little bit of your humor. I had to, I have to, I have to censor myself around you. Anyway, you walk outside and that heat hits you in the face right away. And like, I was like, oh, I love this. Like, this is, this is what I prefer. Like I don't any, and I prefer that to anything under 50. Like not like when people say cold, like I don't mean under 40. I mean, anything under 50. I prefer I'm that 60. Too. I'm 60. Like I'll take anything <laughs> under 60. Cause, cause you always have to factor in the wind too. The wind. I, yeah. I, I said, I spent too many college baseball weekends in February oh. and March to not appreciate sweating. And like I walk outside, like it, it's again, if I was wearing a shirt and tie every day to work, I would not want to sweat. Right. Like when I'm wearing business cash, I'm not looking to sweat. But when I'm walking outside in shorts and a t shirt and I have a nice base sweat going, I'm content. Like one hundred percent content. Okay. Too. Glad like we're on the same sweat. page. Here. I like I yeah. like a good base sweat. Honestly, you feel better. Um, I'm now getting to the age pushing thirty where like my body kind of needs that. You know, I'm a little bit tighter. You know, I don't move as well as I once did. I don't recover as well as I once did. Honestly, it loosens you up. You feel better moving around, and yeah, if you if you have to wear a shirt and tie and like dress pants every day, like I that's I used to like get annoyed when I was working in an office every day and I was in dress pants in the summer. Like you'd leave and it's like too hot, but I just feel like you don't in Florida that much. Like unless you really no. have to, you're not wearing that, and you're no. not outside doing it either. So you just crank up the AC when you're in the office, so you're not sweating, and then. Uh, you put on the shorts and the tee. I saw a guy walking down the street Friday morning. I looked out the window, saw like a 50 year old man in a Philadelphia Eagles basketball Jersey. Didn't know they made him with the matching shorts on walking down the street. It was the most Florida picture you could have about two hours later. I see a, a lady walking a horse, full grown horse down the middle of the street. So it was good. You know, it's good to get out there in Florida sometimes. Cause you never know what you're going to see. Um, I know we're going to jump into the to, to college baseball here in a second, but we were just talking off air about how you're not as locked into Major League Baseball. So we're just going to do a, a, a quick quiz for you. Do you know who who's in first place in the um, National League Central currently? Yes, the Cincinnati Reds. Come on, I still watch right, MLB right. Network. Do you do you do you, can you name the top three teams in order of the NL West? The NL West: Diamondbacks, yeah. Giants. Dodgers. So you're not as checked out as as you made it sound. You know what's going on at least a little bit. You have an idea of of what's happening. That's all. I just wanted to. You said it, and I just wanted to see if you had how zoned out you really were. Yeah, I mean, when Mark DeRosa gets on the uh, the skybox and starts breaking things down, I can't resist that. It, that's my guy. So I still tune in when I'm at work every day on the third screen, just push that one to the side and, and make sure I'm listening to MLB Central. So I still stay a little bit focused, but in terms of actually watching games and, and being able to provide analysis like we try to do on this podcast – other than the subtle debates that I've gotten into through text messages where I've actually had to do some research, um, nothing is crossing my brain that has anything to do with Major League Baseball right now. So, Well, good news. The tournament's been outstanding, so let's talk about it. Yeah, of course. And, and in honor of the Gators making it all the way to the right side of the bracket final, that's why Dan was in Florida for all those that didn't know. He was covering. He was getting some in-person interviews. 
that was why we sent them down there as a business, really smart business move on our part. But obviously the Gators have been playing really good baseball out in Omaha. Uh, we had a huge in-depth episode with Jacob Rudner from Swamp 247 where he dove in on the Gators and what made them so unique this year. But we'll just check in, talk about obviously the happenings, what we've seen across the College World Series. So as we sit today, uh, as it currently stands, LSU and Tennessee are playing as we record in an elimination game. So what, by the time the majority of you listen to this podcast, there will be a, an eliminated SEC team there. So a uh, pretty fun game to watch there. But the other teams that are eliminated, number seven national seed, Virginia was eliminated. The number eight national seed, Stanford Cardinal, was eliminated on the left side of the bracket. Feel good story. Everybody's fun story of the year. Dan specifically fun story of the year. Oral Roberts was also eliminated today by TCU. So obviously we'll know a lot more after at the conclusion of today with the LSU and Tennessee game. But Dan, where are you sitting at with those teams that were eliminated and, and what are your kind of thoughts there? I mean, geez. So this tournament has just been outstanding, and it's not like any of those teams. I mean, shoot, Oral Roberts won a game, right? They won the opener against TCU, who obviously got them back in the rematch today. And it's funny, I kind of forgot they were my team because we talked to Jamie last week. Like I was pulling, I've been pulling for TCU this whole time, um, just because he was such a, a great guest. And um, if you haven't listened to that one, go check that one out. Um, but so I've been pulling for them, but. None of those teams, you know, like embarrassed themselves or anything. They were all in tight games. Stanford, I mean, had a lead in the eighth inning against the number one national seed in, in, in Wake Forest and then ran into a Tennessee team yesterday who's, you know, really good and has enough talent to win it all. Like every team, I think, for the most part, has shown that, like, if they, they could win it all. Now, I still think that, you know, Wake Forest and Florida are probably the two favorites and to me have looked the best and look the best um, just as, as, as far as, like, all around because you would, you would say, well, how does Wake Forest look um, still look like the best when they haven't maybe blown anybody out like they were, but we'll get to that analysis in a little bit, I'm sure. Um, and then, you know, Virginia, Virginia loses a heartbreaker to Florida um, where they have a, a, a two run lead in the last inning of the game uh, in the ninth inning. And, and, and then, you know, just dagger, solo home run, dagger, solo home run. And then, you know, closer gets rattled and loads up the bases uh, with one out. So, you know, I, I think Virginia was right there on the precipice. And then again, TCU's just got it going on right now. Um, and that was another great game. All of these games, you know, yesterday I felt like kind of, sorry, yesterday and today were kind of the first two games that were kind of boring in my mind. The uh, Tennessee kind of handled Stanford and there wasn't too much drama, although late Stanford you know, put a rally together. Um, Tennessee ended up getting out of it. And then um, today, you know, TCU just absolutely handled Oral Roberts, ended up winning that game 6-1. But still, Oral Roberts loaded the bases with two outs in the ninth inning. And you were like, are they going to come back again? So it's just been an outstanding tournament. All these games have been edge-of-your-seat stuff, so much so that my in-laws, who are admittedly not a baseball family at all, um, probably didn't even really recognize the sport as a sport until I joined the family, uh, believe it or not. They were on the edge of their seat watching with me this weekend uh, in Florida, which was pretty cool. Um, and so, like that, it, that's how good of a tournament it is. Um, I can keep running down my family. I guess I'm sure people really care about this, but my dad too, who's like never watched college baseball before, I got him hooked on it. He's texting me like every inning of all these games, like giving me analysis on what's going on. So it's just been an outstanding tournament, and exactly kind of what we had hoped for. 
Yeah, I I texted a group chat of mine that specifically is we talk a lot about baseball, and I said if you guys aren't watching the College World Series, you're missing out on the best baseball of the calendar year. Um, and I don't think that is a hyperbole. I know playoff MLB can get very you know fun and enjoyable on a day to day basis, but when you look at the games coming into today, I know Oral Roberts ended up losing the game to TCU six to one, but two of the games were not decided by one run. Like that's as right. good of baseball as you can get. You have Wyatt Langford's big home run late. You have Tennessee going down for nothing against Stanford. So even in that game that, you know, you talk about where they kind of, it kind of felt comfortable. And I kind of felt that same pulse there once Chase Burns settled in, but they had to chip away. They had to come back. They had 10 singles off Quinn Matthews, all the things that went into play there. And that's not a team that's n- notoriously known to, to, paper cut you to death um, and kind of do it that way. So you have a lot of different things that go into play and what has made this the most enjoyable baseball that I've watched in the calendar year to this point. And, you know, like world baseball, classic level fun. Like I know these kids, they do some stupid things. I know some people get rubbed the wrong way by how these kids act or react in certain situations. But at the end of the day, I mean, I have people texting me about it that I didn't think would text me about. It. I have people at work saying that was the most fun game I've watched, um, you know, in a ca- at this baseball season and just everything combined. And it has lived up to, Everything we've been expecting, it's the best teams in the country, in my opinion, outside of a few. But the left side of the bracket's absolutely loaded. That's the only pro- that's the only negative I could come up with for Stanford, right? Why is Stanford not playing today? Because right. the left side of the bracket is loaded. Nothing Stanford did wrong. They ran into a hot Tennessee team. They played a wake team that seems like it's on a path to destiny at this point in time. And they're eliminated. Virginia, I'm sure Virginia's frustrated that they didn't get – like, you know, at Division Two, they reseed and you yeah. get a nice little draw. Like Virginia had to draw the number two national seed, who's arguably the most talented team in the country, playing the best baseball in the country right now. If they would have reseeded that and reshuffled that, they're in a winner's bracket advantage, not having to go into the loser's bracket and obviously play a really good and really competitive TCU team in game two. So – you know, I don't feel like any of those teams should be disappointed. I know that's kind of the goal in college baseball. It's hard to be that team that finishes at the end, you know, standing at, at, at the end of the next weekend. But ultimately, every team that's still standing, every team that's been eliminated, they've all put up a good fight. They all have something to be proud of. And it's just been high quality baseball for any baseball fans across the country. Yeah, and that's kind of what we were hoping for, and that's kind of what we knew when we when we I think we said it last week when we were previewing all this. Like we looked at the the teams that made it through, and like there was just so many storylines, and all of these teams were probably good enough to do it. Whether it was even if it was Oral Roberts, like what a great story that would have been. TCU, same thing, a team that was twenty three and twenty at one point during the year, and then just the loaded nature of all the other rosters, whether it be Stanford, Wake, LSU, Tennessee, Florida, Virginia, like it was setting up to be and it hasn't disappointed and again like you said it two before today's game two games that weren't decided by one run and one of them was two runs right Tennessee only beat Stanford by two so it's just been tight ball game and um anything can happen when you get into these college bullpens which is true all year about college baseball but when it's magnified on this stage even more so it just makes it that much better um because you know 
you think teams are cruising and they have a stranglehold on it and where you'd be watching a major league baseball game and you're turning to a guy who, you know, everyone's back end reliever in major league baseball. They have two, three guys throwing a hundred with nasty stuff. In college, it's not quite like that, right? Everyone's best pitchers are their starters. So when they get into the bullpen, um, things can get dicey. And it, it certainly has even all Americans like Brandon Neely have gotten themselves into situations that have kind of been, uh, precarious um and that just makes it even more fun um and just real quick on the the how kids reacted there hasn't been anything bad like i haven't seen anything really in this tournament where anyone's reacted in a way that like ah come on what are you doing everyone's kind of been playing the game in a a good way of course they're getting excited yeah it's one of those fun things that you do tend to see it on social media of like like the um cole roland from wake forest and just kids snorts like pre-workout it, before he takes the mound what do you want you would be acting the to. same way <laughs> at yeah, nice it's and just burning funny. his it's face funny. up and it's <laughs> funny because you know we look at professional baseball and mlb baseball and i know ian happ and zach short and dakota meccas were talking mm. about this on their podcast because they were talking about how these guys you know react and handle these situations Burns, and yeah. like yeah, and they were talking about how when you get into professional baseball, whether it, and we could talk to Colin about this and and kind of get his opinion on it as somebody who did pitch in a super regional, who was one of those guys showing emotion in a big moment, compared to what it is in pro ball. But it's like you don't like when you get older. Like I think of it now of like imagining being on the mound and mouth breathing. I'm like, no, I need to be mellow, right? right and you see yeah. these kids that are just so amped up to be in the moment and all the things like that. But you made a good point about the bullpens and and obviously the depth. And what was so interesting is we look at what Wake Forest has been, and we'll obviously dive into to kind of more specifically what they've done game by game. But you're talking about a team that, for all intents and purposes, has not looked like the team that beat all Alabama 22 to five, right? That was so convincing and dominant fashion that, you know, you thought this offense was invincible. And I've texted you last night. I know you agreed with this is that the demon Deacons have played their C level game so far, and they're sitting at two and O. And I think obviously that gives you peace of mind to know just how good this team can be. Um, it obviously shows that they're built off of their pitching staff, which Coach Muscaro and, and staff have done just a phenomenal job um, with the guys that they're able to do. And Coach Walters just presses all the right buttons. He has no fear going to the next guy. He he manages like an MLB bullpen in Game 7 of the World Series. Every game, Sullivan in Game 1, Keener following up the rain delay, you know, right to Minachi after that. And everything like that comes into play, which is super impressive. But, you know, this is a team that has scored late, right? And I remember watching it last night of, like, Ty Floyd being in just absolute cruise control. Cruise control. And just being like, is this Wake team overmatched? Are they not good enough? Like, you know, we've seen them dominate the ACC, but is this LSU team different? And it just – they get into the bullpen and they find a way to win. And that's what's super impressive about these games. And, again, we'll get into Ty Floyd. We'll get into all those things. But the bullpens are where these games are won and lost. We saw Florida do it against Virginia late in the game. It's the teams that can hold a lead or bounce back from a deficit in 7, 8, 9 that are coming out on top. And you see it with Wake Forest and Florida being one win away from the College World Series final. Yeah, and I think when you play, especially those two teams, because in my mind, you know, look, LSU's got so much talent across the board, and, and, and they were number one for a long time, but I think we've seen their flaws so much, and it's the pitching staff, right? And and 
you know, even tonight, it was like, who are they going to go with? And if they win tonight, then where do they turn tomorrow against the Wake Forest team? They probably potentially bring back schemes on short rest, right? Um, that's four days Depending rest. Depending on who like they might, use in the pen. Right. You might, you might bring probably back schemes Riley tomorrow Cooper on big league rest. probably saved. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it, it'll be interesting. And, and But you look at Florida and you look at Wake and it's like, to me, those, these are the two best teams. And that's why they're one and two. Yeah. And, and yep. it's you have to continue to tack on. Like, there is no lead really that's safe against these teams because of how, one, confident they are in their own ability, and two, how good they are, right? Like, these lineups are so loaded. And, and you know, you heard, you know, last night, I think it was it was Bennett Lee and Josh Hartle and, and Cam Manassi were, were on the podium with Coach Walter last night in the postgame. And, and just those guys talking about, you know, the belief they have in each other and how much faith, you know, yeah. someone asked them why you guys by far, in my opinion, are having more fun than any team that I've ever seen here. And the guy had been covering the world series for 20 years. And I think it was Hartle who answered the question. And he was just like, look, we, we have so much faith and confidence in each other. It doesn't matter what the score is. We're having the time of our lives together. And like when you, like that is so, and I, I know it's stupid and cliche and we can't quantify it and you can't put numbers on that. And there's no date on it, but like how dangerous that is with a bunch of kids, yeah. like with a bunch of young guys in a room who are full of that energy and that passion that you were talking about, when they have that faith and that trust in each other, this is what happens. Like they can do anything. And those those kids right now, I bet you Wake Forest, if you walked in there and you said, hey guys, listen, Tennessee and LSU played last night. They all got sick. They can't make the game tonight, but uh, the Yankees are, are, are going to fly in and play you guys tonight. They believe they were going to win the game. Like yeah. they actually would be like, oh, we're good. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Line it up. We're ready to go because that's just where they're at on this run. And, and that's special. So when LSU goes up 2 nothing on them and Ty Floyd looks dominant, but and, and they can, LSU continues to have chances against Hartle and he continues to just turn them away, turn them away, turn them away. I was sitting there watching it going, Wake Forest is in a, a great position. Down 2 yeah. nothing. They're still in a great spot because – just like that, it can flip. And then you see Ty Floyd, what's been biting him all year, walks the bases loaded in that sixth inning and Wake ties the game. And and it's the same thing with Florida against Virginia. It's like, you better keep scoring. You know, and yeah. they did a little bit. You know, they um, BT Ryapel, which how impressive is it to go left center as a lefty to where he hit that ball the other night uh, against Virginia. It's, it's insane because that's just serious juice uh, in that ballpark. But you know, he cuts it to four to three and then Virginia gets another and makes it five three and you go into the ninth and it's like this thing's far from over. Five three yep. against this lineup and you saw it boom boom solo solo tie game and then and then they're in trouble. Yeah, and what do those two teams have in common, right? And I think it comes down to the fact that like if Virginia had any question marks, it was pitching depth. And not just specifically starting rotation, just pitching talent depth. Like this is a team that had to tap in the transfer portal and get a ton of guys preseason who had fine years. But when it come, when push comes to shove and Florida's able to – Coach O'Sullivan's able to walk out there and make a grave mistake on the largest of stages and still be able to hand a ball to Cole Fisher coming out of the bullpen with no warm-up pitches and trust that that guy's talented enough to get out. There's only two teams in this tournament that could handle a mistake like that, and it's Wake Forest and, El- or Wake Forest and Florida because of not just on-paper ERA as a staff. It's talent, man. Brandon Sprout throws 101, and he's arguably their worst starter. Think about that. 
out of their starting rotation. He throws 101, and he's their worst starter. We saw what Paul Skeens can do and dominate with the fastball that he has. Sproat's profile is an elite in professional standards, and Waldrop comes out and punches 12 in six innings and looks like a complete ace. And then you're able to go to guys like Brandon Neely, who's an All-American, Cole Fisher, who's going to be a starting rotation rotation arm for them in the future. And that's what sets this team apart. And it's the same thing when you talk about Coach Walters being able to walk out to the mound and send a guy out there for three hitters and just be like, we don't like this matchup. Like how many college coaches across the country can play matchups, let alone make decisions after a guy can't even complete an inning? We saw that in this game. Well, we saw that last night. And think about it for, for Coach Walter and Wake Forest. Like not only are you playing matchups, but how many guys are coaching a college team and say, you, Cade Rowland, you match up better against uh, and Dylan Tommy Cruz White. and Tommy yeah. than Tommy White. Like, no, yeah. if, if you have a guy out there who you trust to face Dylan Cruz, you Dylan probably Cruz. trust him to face, face Tommy, Tommy White, White too, yeah. right? Like, it's like Dylan Cruz is going to be the first overall pick in the draft. So, like, if if I'm letting you face him in a high leverage situation, you bet your butt I'm going to let let you face Tommy White and Trey Morgan and and, and uh, the guys after him and, and Braden Joe yeah. Bear. But, like, no, it's like, nope, like that, that matchup. You know, I got a guy who profiles better next, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go get him, and and he's gonna yep. do the job. And re- let's can we talk real quick about the what happened there? And, and I know you're not great with names. It's it's Cade Fisher. Um, just I don't want to. I don't want to upset our Gators faithful. Um, it's okay. It, that's not your strong suit. You have we could we could do three podcasts on all your great qualities. Name recognition is not one of them. Um, but. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that situation with with uh, Sully and, and what happened there? Um, I feel like Kyle Peterson called him Sully with Coach O'Sullivan and, and um, kind of what happened there because I don't think I've ever seen that before. You, yeah. Let, let's talk about it. But first, obviously, let's give a shout out to SeatGeek, um, one of our sponsors of this show. Uh, with College World Series here, anybody out in Omaha? I know we got listeners spread out across the country. You're a Wake fan. You're a Florida fan. You're hoping to get into the second weekend of Omaha. You want to head out and watch those games. You can get $20 off your first ticket purchase at SeatGeek.com and use our promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. Again, BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. So if anybody's getting out there to Omaha, you want to go watch some MLB games, you want to watch any, go out to any concerts. I know concert season's coming back. You want to get early football tickets. I know we have a ton of football fans out there. You want to cash in on the whiteout uh, against Iowa, anything like that that you're looking forward to, head over to SeatGeek and you can get $20 off there. So yeah, Dan, let's talk about it. Coach O'Sullivan heads out there to make a mound visit, and obviously the rules have become a little bit different over the course of really our career from playing into coaching, um, and now it's a maximum of six, correct? Yep, six. Six, and obviously two per inning, which it had always been. Um, so you talk to us as the pitching coach and the guy who would be walking out there um, as what could have went wrong and what might have happened in, in Coach O'Sullivan's, you know, situation. Um, I didn't hear his explanation if he gave one in the um, any of the post game stuff. I didn't catch it. It was, it was the next day I was traveling home, but um, so I'm not 100 percent sure. So what I'm going to say here is a lot of speculation. 
Uh, and if anyone has the answer, please let me know. If you send me his comments on on if he said what had happened. Um, but yeah, I made a joke to you and, and and one of our friends about it. The as it happened is I used to get annoyed because you know we obviously my chart guy always was marking down how many visits we took, so I always knew. But I would go out there, whenever I would go out there, the umpires tell you like six times, right? Like between yeah. them coming to break up the visit and like when you first go out there, they flash the number. And then when they come to break up the visit, they tell you. And then usually halfway back to the dugout, they tell you how many times. And it used to bother me. Like, it's like, I know how many visits I got. And then I watched that mm-hmm. whole thing like uh, unfold. And it would be like, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of happy that the umpires used to, to throw the visits out there. Now, I've never coached in anything close to as intense of a game as what's going on here at the college world series and what, what Florida was dealing with there as far as, you know, the intensity and the pressure of a situation. So I never really ran into a situation where I was on the borderline of even burning all of my visits because either things were going well enough where I didn't need to go out there or things were going bad enough that I didn't need to go out there. If that makes sense within a game. Um, so I, I, I can't really say what happened other than there was a review BT Ryapel went out there at the beginning of the at-bat and there was a review taking place. I don't think anyone on Florida's side realized that they were going to be charged for a visit during that Mm -hmm. because it was during the delay. And most times when you have a delay of some kind like that, you know, offensively, you'll see those teams gather together. The coaches come down and talk. So I think Ryapel kind of went out there to kill time, keep his, his, you know, keep Neely's kind of feet where they were in, in the situation. And then the review ends and they were charged with a visit and the umpires didn't really signal to Florida or tell Florida like, Hey, that we charged you with a visit. So then when coach O'Sullivan goes out there, he thinks he still has a visit left when in fact, Ryapel had just used their, their sixth visit. So this was visit number seven. And you could tell how bothered coach O'Sullivan was by it. Not at the umpires, but at himself for not understanding yeah. the situation. Um, and the one comment I did see of his after the game was that he apologized to the team and, mm-hmm. you know, said that it was his fault and he thanked them for having his back, you know, Cade Fisher and company. And no one panicked. And you could see he kept pacing in the dugout afterwards and he was rubbing his head a lot because he knew that he had, he had just had to take out his All-American and bring in a freshman. Um, but again, like you had kind of said a couple minutes ago, that's what sets Florida and even a team like Wake Forest apart is there was no panic. When that happened, yeah. he comes in in a bases loaded situation. He falls, he, he, he gets ahead 0 and 2, and then he falls back behind 3 2 and makes the pitch. And then even in the ninth inning, he comes out, he gives up a run. He has runners on first and third in a situation where, look, you lose that game for Florida. You're having to win three to get back to where you could have been if you had gotten yeah. last out. And, and Cade Fisher, no one panics. He ends up getting the job done. And I just thought the most impressive thing to me was how. You know, the mistake happens. Mistakes like that can happen. You can very easily see how some you get yourself into a situation like that. The response by everyone, including Coach O'Sullivan and Cade Fisher and BT Ryapel and all those guys to just continue to stay the course and not let it fluster them, I think was the most impressive part about the whole thing. Yeah, that's your worst nightmare as a coach, right? Like that is yeah. your worst nightmare, especially in that situation on that stage. If that happened against, you know, Charleston Southern in the second week of the season, it'd just be like, hey, we probably have to have a process to better vet that. 
hey, maybe before we go out just to discuss things when we know we're not making a pitching change, maybe check in with the umpire to see how many visits we've used um, or anything like that. But of course, it always happens in this scenario uh, in Omaha, a coach that's been there before. This is not a guy who's green. Right. This is not his first trip around the block. He's been in in Gator uniform for years. I believe it's his 13th season, 16th season, something of that nature. And he's won national championships. He's made pitching changes in the most high leverage of high leverage time. So it's not for lack of knowledge. It's not for lack of experience. It's just a matter of just one little hiccup there. Like you said, if that's the situation where BT Ryapel went out and they charged him for a visit there, you know, that's definitely something that probably umpire wise needs to be communicated a little bit better to the dugout so that these mistakes don't happen. But the fact that they responded the way they did shows the culture that they yep. have there, right? Yep. Like, cause, and that's, that comes from the coaching staff. Like we've all been there, right? Where you make a decision, whether it's a pitch call, right? Or, you know, you're kind of in a guy's ear and you want him to do something or you're on third base and, and you call for, you know, this play and it just doesn't work out. Other team makes a good read. Guy was sitting on the heater that you called. You thought you'd sneak it by him, whatever it would be. And you know, you have a good culture when it's not, oh, that was a stupid call. It's, guys coming up to you nudging you as a coach and saying we got you coach like and you could tell that coach o'sullivan tells them that right hey no factor the next guy is going to pick you up right like that's how we play we're we're focused on the process not the result right we're not getting caught up in the emotion of the moment right and being able to handle those situations so that's what the most impressive part of that is when you look at a culture and you want to see culture play out in games it's those guys picking coach o'sullivan up the same way coach o'sullivan probably picks their head up when they face adversity and that's when you tell that this team has it going and obviously the talent is evident every time they step on the field but when you can combine that talent with that ability to handle adversity the right way that's when you really have a formula that looks like a team that that can definitely finish on top and and has all the ingredients to get there so it was super impressive and it's one of those things that lesson learned right on both sides of it from from the outside looking in from all coaches across the country that have to deal with these things how can we prevent this um and then also for coach o'sullivan and the team like hey we we can respond to these things and it's super impressive yeah and i think um also the last thing i'll say on this is, is credit to the umpires and the people in charge in both teams for how they handled the situation of bringing in Kate yeah. fisher with no warm-ups because technically by rule he has to just get out there he gets eight warm-ups and he has to go they let yeah. him throw several more warm-up pitches because that's just one of those rules where it's like we're putting an athlete at risk and there's no need to do mm-hmm. it like yes the coach made a mistake and sure it would be a huge advantage which is kind of what the spirit of the rule is is to then give the advantage to um, the opposing team for making that mistake but if you send a kid out there with no warm-up pitches only eight you risk him being hurt you risk an offensive player getting hurt if he has doesn't have his command locked in um, but you also risk that pitcher getting hurt and and he probably took about I would say 20 warm-up pitches which I thought was the right move and I didn't see any complaining from Oral Roberts the umpires just right away you, the, I saw the the umpire talking to what looked like some sort of somebody important maybe it was the head of mm-hmm. the umpires in the front row of the stands right when they had to make the move and you could then shortly thereafter Kate fisher's taking like 20 warm-up pitches which i thought was the the right move there and i i'm also yeah. proud of everyone who watches and follows these games i haven't seen one complain about it on social media 
Yeah, well, that's a shocker because um, yeah. people like to complain about all types of things. But let's right. let's dive in a little bit to the game that everybody had been uh-huh. waiting for. I mean, pre you told me the preseason rankings that the game that the season would come to this. You told me that uh, LSU and Wake Forest were going to battle it out in Omaha. I would have signed up for that any day of the week. I would have blocked my schedule out. And lucky enough, we were we got that right. Coming in Monday night, uh, Wake and LSU get to battle it out, uh, primetime television, and it, it lived up to the hype. I think in terms of actually getting to see the best players be the best version of themselves, it wasn't exactly that. Dylan Cruz didn't go four for four and hit a home run. Brock Wilkin didn't play you know, his best game of baseball, even though defensively he was an absolute superstar. You know, This game was kind of the... Wake Forest depth show, right? Josh Hartle being able to settle in and give you six strong innings even after walking four hitters, which is not the norm for a pitcher of his caliber. Them being able to roll their bullpen arms out the way they did. Bennett Lee making a phenomenal defensive stop and the go-ahead base hit. He's the he's the guy that you probably circle as the MVP of this game with just what he brought in terms of that. And then on the opposite side, it was Ty Floyd looking like vintage Ty Floyd that we came into the year expecting to see 97 on the fastball elite life ton of swing and miss at the top of the zone guys having a hard time getting on top of it um and then it was really mistakes from the wake forest defense you have a trey morgan triple when adam cessary lost a ball in the lights um and that was the difference in the game early it was a two nothing deficit that wake ended up chipping away from and then they just flexed their muscle they were able to shut down an lsu offense that has been elite from day one but what were your takeaways as we kind of break down this game and, and obviously we're lucky enough to tune in and watch yeah I think that you know again this game just proved how much of a force Wake Forest is and can be because they didn't play you know you're playing the only other team in the country that had the number one next to their name and they had it for for the majority of the season until late when Wake Forest took over that spot and you did it not Really, like, I think if you told Coach Walter, hey, Josh Hartle's going to go out there and in a start in Omaha against LSU is going to walk 20% of his season total of batters, he would have been like, we lose that game, right? Like, yeah. there's no way we lose that game. A guy come in, he had 20 walks on the year. He walks four guys, but he still ends up going six innings. He strikes out nine, and he just was able to make pitch after pitch. And I think that was kind of, as I was watching it again, like, Watching LSU not capitalize on opportunities, it was kind of like the, you're. This is dangerous. You're letting them hang around. You're letting them hang around, and then boom! In that sixth inning, three straight walks, and then Brock Wilkin, who you know now now you have bases loaded, nobody out, and you got Brock Wilkin coming up, a kid who has 81 RBIs on the year, and, and he does what you would expect. You know, one of the best players in the country to do. He he doesn't try to do too much. He hits it, rips a single up the middle, and next thing you know, it's a tie game, and you know that's just. That's what makes this team so dangerous and why they are the outright favorite is because, like you said, even against Stanford, like Rhett Lauder didn't have a great start either. Like, so you, you're telling me that our first two games were sending two All-Americans out to the mound, two guys who are the leaders of the staff that it has the best ERA by a zillion in the country, and they're both going to have some of their worst stuff and their worst outings of the year, and we're going to win both of those games 3-2. And that's what Coach Walter said kind of last night in in, in his um press conference was like look we can win the 3-2 game our offense is good enough to also win the 10-8 game and you know what he told those guys before the LSU game was tonight I just want you to go out there and show them how tough we are because I don't think people realize how tough of a group you are and that's Mm -hmm. what they've shown in these first two games they're down against a really good Stanford team 
who doesn't quite have the talent or the depth that LSU does, but then they face LSU, that same team, they're down two to them, and they come back and win a game. And and there was the Bennett Lee show there in the late innings, and that's how they won it. And that's what it is. It's, it's somebody new every time. Is it going to be one of the pitchers? Is it going to be Brock Wilkin? Is it going to be Nick Kurtz? Is it going to be Tommy Hawk? Is it going to be Danny Corona, who seems to be at the center of so many big offensive moments for this team in the postseason? And then last night, it's Bennett Lee with an unbelievable play on the back end of that Brock Wilkin play to, to receive a throw from the other side of the base runner, so he screened from it, to pick it short hop and put the tag down is incredible. And then with have the to wear mitt. with the catcher's mitt to cut down that run and then obviously, you know, for them to then turn around and be able to get a two ball there was absolutely phenomenal. Um, Kamenasi comes in and gets the two ball there. And then for him to turn around and have the at-bat after the Danny Corona double, for Bennett Lee to be the kid at the plate and who gets down in the count 0-2 and, and realize that it's speeding up on him, for him to have the wherewithal as a, as a player to call time and go talk to Billy Salento is just like – no wonder they're so good. You got players who are yeah. like you talk about all the time. When you're good, players are the, the best coaches on the team. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what he showed there by being able to be like, nope, I'm going to go talk to coach down here just to reset because this at bat's speeding up on me. Yeah, Bennett Lee, eh, they were talking about it on the broadcast. And, you know, looking back at it, I think I wish we would have known a little bit more about Bennett Lee himself. I mean, his stats do not come off the stat sheet so that we could have gotten Les's perspective um, on Bennett specifically because he seems to be that veteran presence that this team needed to get where they wanted to be. I mean, again, the the presence of mind to take a timeout in an 0-2 count and go down to your third base coach. Most hitters aren't thinking about that in that moment. They're thinking about what Thatcher Hurd is going to throw, how he's going to get you out, especially a catcher who probably thinks through that at bat and trying to process what might happen. That That's awesome. That's a huge veteran move by him. And, and the pick, I mean, that's one of the best plays I've seen across oh, college baseball. Yeah. I mean, Brock Wilkins' ability to – double clutch and still moving one direction. That's a hard throw to make. But how many times do we see catchers mishandle long hops in from the outfield on turf? Right. Like you get a, a throw in from the outfield coming at you that you can't pick when it bounces up to your chest because you're, you're quick to make a thinking tag. about, yep, the tag down. You're worried about bang, bang play. For him to slow the moment down, to see the pick out, to make the tag – whether he made it or not, that's one of those complaints. I'll be on my soapbox for a second here where I hate replay. Ball beat him, tag was made, ticky-tacky there of whether his fingertip hit the ball before the tip of his glove made contact with Trey Morgan's leg. Like, just not not happening for me. So um, that was kind of – if that got overturned, I would have been really frustrated there. But he is the guy, and, and that's what gives you so much hope about this Wake Forest team is, you know – Depth, depth, depth. We've talked about depth. We talked about why we don't think LSU can win a national championship, which I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say they can't. They very well could get hot. This offense could carry the freight through the rest of the Omaha and end up making a run at it. But we talked about why we don't think they could do it. Depth. Coach Walter's confidence to use his bullpen. I know we talked about it matchup wise. We know we talked about it. We think Roland's a good matchup against Dylan Cruz, but not a good matchup against Tommy White. We like the young buck better for that. And maybe fastball profile versus Dylan Cruz's ability to hit off-speed pitch. Tommy White is a better off-speed hitter, I would guess, statistically, to make that move, to have the confidence to make that move, to be able to push Sean, Sean Sullivan in game one. 
to be able to come back after the rain delay with Seth Keener in game one that you were down. So now you're burning your number four starter in a game that you're down because you have that much faith in your team. And then on the opposite side, Coach Johnson felt like he was handcuffed, right? Ty Floyd, when he skipped that thrower to first, he lost it. Lost Mentally, it. the anxiety, the moment, he went from being the best player on the field to not being able to throw a strike. And he couldn't pull the trigger fast enough. He didn't have, because Riley Cooper might have to start the next day, that's your get-out-of-jail-free card. The guy that was at Arizona with him comes out third strike. He might need him to start. Ackenhauser was getting hot at that time. He's starting against Tennessee right now. Thatcher Hurd is one of your starters. So there's panic ensuing right now because you don't trust your depth. You can't see that when he skipped that ball over to first and then went 3-0 to the next hitter, that he was losing it and you got to go get him. He had a great outing. Thank you very much. Go put, you know, go get a drink of water and hang out and support your teammates. Then the Thatcher Hurd side of things, and not that Thatcher Hurd had a bad outing, he was perfectly fine, but he's not your three inning guy, right? He had right. to get out of jams. He had to pitch around some, you know, hitters counts and things like that. You could argue that he had some, you know, hard hit outs and things like that, that came into play where he could have easily given up three in certain situations. He definitely had some traffic on the bases. So when all those things are considered the ability, I mean, you're talking about a guy in three innings, gave up three hits and had three walks. Like that's what Thatcher heard was. There was no rush to get him out of there. And I get trust in your guys, but that showed that big picture wise, Coach Johnson knew I can't pull the trigger on Thatcher Hurd because the guys I would go to, the Gavin Gidrys, the Ackenhausers, the Riley Coopers, I might need them tomorrow just in case we lose this game. And then not to mention the fact that we're going to have to win two more if we also lose this game. And you mentioned it. They're not bringing Paul Skeens back on short last rest. I find that hard to believe. I think they have no problem pitching him 123. I don't think they're going to break his routine like that. So you know you don't have a Paul Skeens getting you out of jail free card coming out of out of the bullpen there. Oh no, definitely not out of the bullpen. I mean, he's potentially he could potentially start Wednesday or Thursday though. Um, I think that would be. I just wouldn't imagine. I don't think they would do it. I I have a hard time thinking they would do it. I mean, it, it's. I don't know who else they're really going to turn to unless they turn know, to to Christian that's, Christian Little is Christian Little healthy? I I think I, I think I saw somewhere I, mean, I think and, he and, is yeah and that's what's what's killed him I mean because like when you think about it they're two high leverage guys really towards the end of this year outside of Thatcher Hurd have been Griffin Herring and Gavin Gibbsry mm-hmm. freshman so now you're yeah. asking freshman against the best team in the country if it was you know what I'm mean, in that situation and they've both been your late inning guys. Like, what are we gonna? Are we gonna bring those guys in in, in situations here in Omaha where the bases are loaded and no outs, or uh, first and second with no outs, and, and you're gonna go to one of those guys who's a freshman? You can't tell me their heart rate isn't sped up. So, and and that is that's kind of the, the Achilles heel. Now, if you had some of the other guys that they thought they were gonna have when the season started, you know, they've just been banged up on the mound, and that's kind of really yeah. what's killed them here. And and again, to your point, that's what makes Wake so dangerous. One, the faith that yeah. Coach Walter has, but two. The talent that he has, it's a lot easier to be faithful when you're turning to yeah. Sean Sullivan and you're turning to, you know, Cam Manassi and you're turning to Michael Massey and you're turning to, you know, all of these guys that, you know, Seth Keener. Like, yeah, like easy. Go hand well, them the ball. Let, let me get in here, too. Um, and this is not a I'm not comparing 
the pitching coaches themselves because one had success in the MLB and and one has obviously just had a lot of success there. But recruiting rankings tell you that LSU should have the better pitching staff talent-wise. What Coach Muscara has done at Wake Forest, whether it's the lab, which we can get into a conversation after the season about how much how much value the lab has there. The lab is very important, but it's the it's the chef. It's not the ingredients. The ingredients we've seen this over the last couple of years, you know, post Hobbs and pre Muscara, that the pitching staff was not what it is now, and no. they were recruiting at the same level and they had the same amount of talent. Um, maybe not as high level of talent, but the ability to get develop guys and lose Teddy McGraw. I've heard it on the broadcast. There's people that think Teddy McGraw is the best pitcher out of all of them. The best pitcher out of all of the names we listed. The best stuff out of all those guys. To be able to lose a name like that and to not even matter. They're one earned run, one full earned run ahead of the competition in ERA on the course of the season. That shows what their pitching development is. Because if we just looked at like this was college football stuff, uh, and it was blue chip ratio. LSU is going to have the higher talent on campus on a year to year basis. Now, being able to put that talent in a position to be successful, injuries play a huge role in that. I'm not going to deny it. But Wake Forest has done so much, and it's not because of the pitching lab. So it's because of the people that are making decisions and the people that are developing these talents so much more with less. And to run laps around LSU in that scenario in depth and really everybody across the country. It's not just LSU. I'm not like Virginia, we talked about it. They struggled depth wise too, is super impressive. And that coaching staff deserves a ton of credit. Yeah, I think I I, I agree with you, Coach Muscara, from a standpoint of of the credit. I mean, what Coach Muscara and, and that entire staff codes. As we saw on the broadcast last night, their analytics guy. I mean, they've done an absolutely phenomenal job. Uh, there's no mistaking that. I think, I mean, LSU has a lot of guys who are impact guys on the shelf this year. Yes, and they that do. that hurts a yes. little bit. I mean, but, and also, to, like, sometimes you can't, like, as good of a pitching coach as you are, sometimes, like, the issues that have hurt Ty Floyd, that's not necessarily a coaching thing, like right? Like he's he's struggled with command this year. He hasn't really gotten hit hard. You saw it last night when he's throwing strikes. Yeah. Ty Floyd is as good as anyone. He was pitch for yeah. pitch with Josh Hartle. He mm-hmm. was, as you said, the best player on the field through the first five innings of that game, and then the walks bit him. Like so, that's not necessarily so, you know. I'm not just defending Wes Johnson because I love him and he's now the head coach of the University well, of Georgia, to- obviously. But but <laughs> I, I think that. I think that you're right in the sense that what Wake Forest has done is head and shoulders probably the best job in the country this season, for sure. But I also think there's a little bit of, of you know, LSU's kind of working a little bit shorthanded. And I don't want to make excuses for him because you're LSU. So, you know, one guy, two guys, that three guys matter. go down. You yeah. should have one guy, two guys, three guys who are all highly regarded as recruits come in and be able to fill fill the slot. It just doesn't work that way sometimes. I think I think my biggest complaint that I would have is there's three names, we'll go two names, that have thrown a lot of innings in their college careers that have massively regressed, and that's Thatcher Hurd and Christian Little. And when got like 
I'm not saying I'm not going to compare apples to to apples here and say, well, if Thatcher Hurd transferred to Wake Forest, he'd be pitching on Saturdays and he'd be pitching two a two. I'm not saying that, but there has to be some some evidence there that Thatcher Hurd and Christian Little regression shouldn't happen. And you've seen like Wake Forest takes a Dartmouth pitcher and p- turns him into a high leverage reliever. Right. And this guy's spinning it. He's throwing filthy changeups. He's mouth breathing on the mound and all the things like that. And again, I'm not comparing that, but it, you're telling me that Thatcher Hurd comes over. And that's what, when you looked at this LSU team coming into the year, you're right. The talent and the injuries, the guys that they've lost to injuries is very important. But Thatcher Hurd and Christian Little are both guys who were projected to be day one draft picks in certain scenarios. And those guys are rolling out there with a 6.29 next to their name and a 7.09 next to their name. And that's just unacceptable. And I'm not, again, I'm not blaming West John. I'm not like, that's not what I'm saying here. But I think when you look at the talent that LSU has, not that it's inexcusable, but Nobody's going to feel sorry for you that these arms are taking a step back because of what you recruit. Nobody's going to be like, oh, well, they don't have pitching depth because they're handcuffed. No, they don't have pitching depth because something behind the scenes that we don't know is not translating to the field. Yeah, it's an interesting point, and I don't think it's something that we'll ever really know the answer to now as we sit here and kind of of dig at them. Nate Ackenhausen, who's a guy who you wouldn't expect to – to really be be that frontline guy is, is through four and two thirds with five strikeouts yeah. and three hits allowed against a, a Tennessee lineup who swinging the bat pretty well coming into today. So, I mean, I still think it's there. And I think the thing that you're seeing a little bit too, even with Ty Floyd last night is like, I think these guys understand the stage they're on. And I think yeah. you're going to see some of these guys, you know, kind of rise to the level of their talent in Omaha, which is kind of what you need. Right. Um, if you're LSU and you are a little bit shorthanded, I don't think you're necessarily wrong that, you know, maybe there is something, maybe these guys should be performing a little better. I don't know, but this time of year, right. Excuses out the window. And and the time yeah. for that is after the season right now, it's, it's how can we find an outs to win these ball games? Got to get 27 out of them, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's just something that as I kind of think about where we're at right now and, and obviously the ability to compare you know what the other two roster what the two rosters kind of threw on the field there it's it's an interesting conversation and i think it's something that you know i mean we're never going to know i mean no. coach johnson he's going to be at georgia next year and he spent his one year at lsu and he deserves all the credit if we're going to knock him for those two guys he deserves all the credit for paul Skeens. paul Skeens, right he deserves every ounce of that i'm sure there were other people that were in play there but the ability to turn Paul Skeens from one of the best two-way players in the in the country to the best pitcher and arguably the best college pitcher we've ever seen and just being able to dominate, dominate on a week-to-week basis and get better as the year goes on is 100% a credit to their pitching development. So definitely there's good and bad, but um, you know, those, the bad has started to creep up for them as they kind of run into, you know, their count and their outs and, and sitting there with their season on the line. So, um, but I do want to look ahead a little bit here. Uh, but before we do that, um, I want to talk about Routine Baseball. So Routine Baseball is another one of our sponsors of the podcast. Routine Baseball offers a ton of options from shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any baseball style you could imagine. Dan's always out 
talking is routine baseball stuff. I've, I've got my routine baseball stuff in route. So make sure you head over to routine.com slash backside ground ball. Again, routine.com slash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have and receive 10% off. That's right. 10% off your order today. That's routine.com slash backside ground ball. So Dan, as we look ahead, obviously we have the right side of the bracket. The final is set here. We have Florida facing off against TCU, our good friends of the podcast. We had Jacob Rudner from Florida, Swamp 247, and then Jamie Plunkett from TCU, Horn Frog Blitz. Uh, both of them, huge fans of the programs, huge fan of the podcast. Super grateful for them coming on the podcast. What are you looking forward to? Obviously, we've got a ton of information about those two teams. What are you interested to watch as these two teams battle it out and, and kind of play for your allegiance because we have so much love for those guys coming on the pod just real quick i just want to throw out there if lsu wins tonight we'll have had four beat writers on this season from college baseball teams and they would be the the last four teams remaining in uh in college baseball yeah so so, all i'm gonna say is beat writers on guaranteed to make the final four and then head coach is on 100% hit rate on hosting, hosting regionals. regionals. We're doing bad with with, with hitting coaches, um, obviously. But uh, head coaches head, head coaches, and, and beat writers, we're doing a, a pretty dang good job so far. So, you know, if, if, if you're a fan out there and you, you have a favorite college baseball team and you want them to either host a regional or, or be in the Final Four, you know, tell a head coach or a beat writer to come on the pod. Um, What am I looking forward to? I mean – Look, just watching the, the end of this and, and the talent that's been on display, I mean, the amount of arms that you're seeing that are 94, 97 plus, sorry, in the college game today, the amount of like great defensive plays we've seen. Um, TCU has gloved it all tournament and, and um, just the offense, the big hits, the moments, you know, the, the late game situations, you know, I'm just super excited. I, I fully expect to see Florida and Wake Forest in the final. I think they're the two best teams and, and for anyone to have to beat them twice to get through is going to be um, one heck of a test for either LSU, Tennessee, or, or TCU. But, um, you know, I think it's shaping up to be a, a, a really fun rest of the week here. Yeah, definitely. And and obviously, you know, Florida TCU, it's going to be really good baseball. TCU is playing their best baseball right now. Uh, we get to watch a lot of talent, a lot of potential MLB talent. Hurston, obviously, Hurston Waldrop threw earlier in the week, but we got Jack Caglianone, Cole Fontenelle, Brendan Taylor, Braden Taylor. All of those guys are obviously going to be a huge watch there. Wyatt Langford obviously might be the most talented and highest drafted of them all. And then on the other side of it, we're going to get a little bit more information of Wake for- who Wake Forest is going to take on with a chance to go to the College World Series final. As as we mentioned a couple times, LSU and Tennessee are playing as we speak. But no matter who Wake Forest gets, no matter who they draw in that scenario, you know it's going to be a really good baseball game. It's going to be two very talented teams, two hungry teams that want to win a national championship. 
four really, really good teams left. Um, no matter how you spin it, there's five as we sit right now. A lot of good storylines and super excited to get into the weekend ahead. I mean, we're going to get back on here. We're going to preview the the final series here, no matter how it unfolds. Uh, so that will be our episode later in the week. The final series will be Saturday through Monday. The Monday will be the if necessary game. So we could have a national champion by Sunday of this week. And obviously it's just been a ton of great baseball. It's been a ton of fun to watch the emotion that we have. I think the quality of baseball has been better than a lot of people expect. And, and as I said, as we opened up the show, you're talking about the best baseball I've seen in a calendar year. World baseball classic was fun. World series playoff matchups are always fun. There's been nothing that compares to the one run baseball games that we've seen in Omaha and really the super regionals included and the regionals. It has been eyes glued to the TV must see baseball since the regional game one. And as we sit today, and I don't expect it to be any different as we move forward. So Dan, any closing thoughts before we get out of here and let our listeners go enjoy some baseball? No, even if you're not a uh, typical college fan, fan of college baseball, go tune into the to the rest of this week. You're, you're not going to see a bad baseball game. You might see no, some bad spe- baseball at times, but you will not yes. see a bad baseball game. <laughs> you will see sloppy baseball. You will see fundamental mistakes. You will see things that might irritate you. But when push comes to shove, there's a guarantee that as it stands right now, you're going to probably see a day one arm as as it sits right now, I believe every team except for TCU has a high draft pick arm. So there's a guarantee to see either Paul Skeens, Chase Dolander, Rhett Lauder, Josh Hartle, Seth Keener, Sean Sullivan, all of those guys, um, as well as on the Florida side, Brandon Sprout, Hurston Waldrip, and Jack Caglianone. All of those arms have the potential to be playing on the big stage, not to mention the offensive players of Dylan Cruz, Christian Moore, obviously Brock Wilkin, Nick Kurtz. The list goes on and on in the talent that we have. So make sure if you're interested in just the MLB side of things, Still tune in because these are, these are guys that could be playing in big league uniforms in short term, uh, not the long term. Short term is a lot of guys that have potential day one talent. So if that's what your interest is, if you're interested in the draft, there's a ton of reasons to watch the baseball other than the energy, uh, what Omaha is, and obviously the spectacle that can be um, in late June that we love and we've come to love over the course of the of our fandom. So. That'll be all for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your pods. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, most weeks. This week we slacked off. Happy Father's Day to to all the fathers out there that listen to the podcast. Um, We took a day off for you guys. Always hitting your feet at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB. Instagram at Backside Ground Balls and TikTok at Backside Ground Ball. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends. And we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.